Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. Uh, we're disciples of Jesus that built disciples of Jesus. My name is Aaron Lee Pastor, and I'm so glad you're with us today. You say, Aaron, why did you come from the back? Because right before I came up, my microphone died. And so I had to go get another one, but I got one, and it works, and it's fantastic. Hey, Happy New Year. You are all here. Well done. You started the year off right. right? This is fantastic. And we're glad you're here today. We're starting a brand new series uh, called Grasping God's Word. And and really, we wanted to start 2020 uh, by seeing uh, the world as it really is and God as he's revealed himself. And that is through scripture. So think of it like glasses. Uh, We... And by the way, you like my new glasses? Yeah, they put them on. Uh, let me see the world. Like, and so we want to see the world as it truly is. And that's through the lens of scripture. And so that's why we're starting this year uh, with this series, Grasping God's Word, which is fantastic. Now, before we get into the message, of course, we want to do our uh, memory verse stuff. And uh, if we could get the, the slide on there, I've got some new ways that we want us to do our memory verse. Uh, this time, just because I've taught you how to memorize scripture in the past ways, uh, you know, by taking the first letter and all that, and that's a really good way. We're going to do this series. It's going to be a little bit different. And so to wake up your brain for this new way, we're going to play a little creative game, and I promise it'll be fun and it's not going to hurt too bad, um, but it'll wake your brain up and then we'll be able to get into and, and memorize scripture. So I uh, put that imagination hat on and uh, let's start. Right here where I'm standing, I want you guys to imagine a finish line. Because at the beginning of the year, I want you to do like a, a finish line. So you can imagine like right there. And it's like a finish line for a race, right? So it's like right there and you can hear it and like the wind go through it and all that kind of stuff. And then you can see two guys running up to the race and they're twins, right? There's two twins and they're running and, and one's going to finish first and one's going to finish second. And you're kind of focused on the guy that's going to finish second. And so you see these two twins that are going to finish the race. But there's something weird about these twins, right? They have clocks for mouths. You picture that, right? And so because of that, people know them as the time mouthies, right? And you can hear the crowd behind you. You're watching the race and they're about ready to win. And you hear the crowd behind you go, time mouthy, time mouthy, time mouthy, right? You can see it, right? They're about ready to finish. And then right behind them, ready to come in third, you see the most unlikely thing. It's a a convertible with three 16-year-old girls in it. That they, they took their dad's car out for the first time, right? And they got so excited that the first girl painted 16 on the side because she just turned 16. It's her first time out driving and she got lost. And now she's in this race and they're going to come in third. You picture that right here. Okay, so we have a race, t- two-time mouthies. They were paying attention to the second one. And then three 16-year-old girls in the thing. Okay, so then that's there. Right here going on is I want you to picture Bibles, not just one Bible, but like all of the Bibles, all of the Bibles in the whole world. They're just stacked on top of each other. There's so many scriptures, just like, and you can smell them and all that kind of stuff. But then the Bibles, like they grow arms and mouths and they start to be animated, right? And then, uh, so, there, so there's like one and there's lots of them and now there's like animated Bibles and they're all there and they're talking to each other and they pick up a paintbrush, and then they start painting like beautiful art. And you look and you see like Mona Lisa and things like this. And these Bibles are painting the most amazing artworks. Can you picture that? Okay. And then you have a special ability. You can look into the mind of the Bibles. And so you see a little thought bubble pop up. Right? Right? And inside of the mind of the Bibles, you see that it's inspiring them. Why are they painting this beautiful art? You can see what's inspired. They're, they're thinking about God on his throne. Right? And that's what's inspiring them to paint this beautiful art. You have that? Okay. So then it gets weirder. Because <laughs> over here, we have a 
we have a very handy man, right? He's standing right on top of this, and he's so handy, he has six hands. That's how handy he is. And he's super duper busy. And he's building this right here, and he's really concerned. He's making this, this level. He wants it to be true. He wants it to be straight up and down. He really, really wants it to be true. And so he's working really hard, and you see that, you know, he's working really hard. He, he's got to get hungry, so he's, he's taking, he's got these bottles of juice next to him, like a bunch of bottles of juice. They're just like, and he's grabbing the juice, and he's just slamming the juice, just, and he's drinking so much juice that it actually starts to come out of his ears. Like he's got juice just coming out of his ears and he's working all this. And all of a sudden he stops and he sees all of you and he puts on a professor hat, right? And then he's going to teach you how to make things true. But because now he's a professor, he's got to be all philosophical about it. And so he says, he's up here and he says, what is true? What is true? And that's what he's teaching us. Do we remember that? Okay. So over here. We have finish line. We got uh, two time mouthies finishing a race, three 16 year old girls behind them. We have all the Bibles being inspired there, right? Painting, inspired paintings, kind of good stuff. And then we have a handyman right there who's full of juice, right? And he's teaching us what is true. Okay, so right here, somebody we're fam- more familiar with, where the drum set is, we find Geppetto. Remember Geppetto from uh, Pinocchio? He wanted to make a real boy? Well, he's starting on that. He's working on that. And, and he's working and gets all excited. He turns around and he drops on the table his very first parts of making his new boy. And he's boom. And they're a set of eyeballs. But they're real. They're not like wooden eyeballs. They're like real eyeballs. And he says, I made you real eyes. Right there. You picture that? Okay. So then right here where this is at, this isn't a TV. No, no, we're in a picture in our mind that this is actually a billboard, like one of those you see beside the road. And on the billboard, it's supposed to say our lives matter, but somebody who doesn't know how to spell, like somebody from the internet wrote it, says, (laughs) they wrote it A-R-E, R, and then lives, they spelled it wrong and all of that. And then right through that door, like, kicks down the door and walks over here is a grammar Nazi, right? Jack-booted grammar Nazi with a, with a Webster dictionary right under his arm, right? And he says, what is wrong with our lives? That's what he says. You picture that? Okay, so we have this. Okay, then I want to say like um, right here, we have an American flag, all right, can you picture American flag? And then Elvis Presley, like the 1970s version of Elvis Presley with the white and the, all that kind of stuff. Elvis Presley steps up and he's going to sing the national anthem, right? Except for he gets the words wrong. Instead of, oh, say, can you see? He gets it wrong. He says, it's all about me, right? He gets it wrong, right? But he does it like in his Elvis way. It's all about me, like, like that, right? <laughs> and then right here next to him, as soon as he says that, that there's a poof of fire Right? And that freaky clown from the movie It, like Stephen King's It, that clown shows up to correct Elvis. And he points to him, and in his very best President Trump impersonation, he says, Wrong. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> so you have the clown from the movie It, wrong. Okay? One more. <laughs> right here, we have a teacher. Right? The teacher with the chalkboard and the little pointy stick that teachers have. Right? So, and the teacher is going to teach all of us how to make a to-do list. And so uh, first thing the teacher says is, I want you to take your to-do list. I want you to divide it in two sides, right and left. And I want you to write all of your tasks, half of them on the right and half of them on the left. So you all do that. You're writing them down. And then the teacher says, all right, I want you to cross out everything on the left. And so you do. You cross out everything on the left. And then she writes on the board, do what is right. 
And that's through taskless. You do what is right. Okay, so let's test ourselves, see how awake we are, so that way we can memorize scripture. Who do we have right here? Finish line. Two, two Tim Mouthies, right? Cross and finish line. And who's behind them? Yeah, three 16-year-old girls in a car. You guys are sharp. That was the furthest one away. This one will be easier. How about right here? Yeah, how many Bibles? All the Bibles. What are the Bibles doing? They're painting. And what's in their mind? What's inspiring them? Yeah, God. God is inspiring them to do that. Okay, so very good. How about back there by uh, the baptistry in the door? Who's there? Yeah, very handy man, right? And uh, what is he full of? Yeah, he's so full of you shooting out of his ears. And then uh, right there, and what is this handyman trying to teach us? He puts on a professor hat. What is he trying to teach us? What is true, right? Getting that straight up and down. What is true? Very good. Okay, and then who's by the drums? Geppetto. And what did Geppetto make us? Real eyes. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, you guys are better at this than you thought, aren't you? Okay, right over here, instead of that TV, what is it? Yeah, it's a big billboard. And what's on that billboard? Our lives matter. And then who comes breaking in because it's spelled wrong? And what does that grammar Nazi say? Yeah, what is wrong with our lives? Yeah, very good. You got the passion. You got to say it like the grammar Nazi. All right, okay, right here. Elvis saying America flag, right? And he gets the words wrong. Yeah, and so then who shows up to correct him? The clown from the movie It, right? And, and uh, what, does he, what does he say? How does he correct him? Yeah, wrong. Okay, and then right here, who's here? Yeah, a teacher. And a teacher is teaching us what? To-do list, right? And then, uh, and then what is the lesson she writes on the chalkboard? Do what is right. Oh, very good. See, your brains are all awake. Now let's memorize scripture. Uh, oh, there's my teacher again. I don't know how that happened. Hello, teacher. Well, this, this is a cool animation, so let's all appreciate it for a second. It took me about 20 minutes. <laughs> and the, yeah, do what is right. Okay, so now we've already tested ourselves. Now I want to do our scripture. All right, our scripture for this series is 2 Timothy 3.16, when we talk about the Bible. And you're going to memorize this today. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Isn't that an awesome passage? I know that it's a long memory verse, but don't worry, we're going to get it real fast. In fact, you already have it memorized. And so let's just go through the room and I'll show you how you already have this memorized. Remember, this is 2 Timothy 3.16. And so who was right here? The two Timothys, right? We're going to come back to them at the very end. And then right here, what was here? The Bibles, all scriptures, right? All the scriptures are inspired by God. So we have all of the scriptures, right? Not just one, but all of them. And what are they inspired by? God. And so that's in their mind. That's why you picture that bubble. So all the scriptures are inspired by God. And then over here, the next line is, and is useful to teach us what is true. And so who is useful? <laughs> yeah, you got the handyman. He's juiceful. He is juiceful and he's going to teach us, right? You got the teacher thing, what is true, right? That's, that's what he does. So all scripture is, in, is inspired by God and is juiceful, teach us what is true and make us realize who just made us realize? <laughs> yeah, and make us realize, right? What is wrong in our lives? But you can say it like this. What is wrong in our lives? Right right there. Right here. Next one. It corrects us when we are wrong. <laughs> right? And then 
We have, uh, oh, that's a good animation. I just like that one. And then right here, and teaches us to do what is right. And so we have our teacher there telling us, teach us to do what is right. And of course, then if we come back to this thing, you will know exactly where to find that verse because it is second time mouthy, three 16-year-olds. Second time mouthy, three 16. Okay, so you already have this memorized, so let's just test ourselves to make sure that we have it. So let's say with me right here, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Second Timothy 3.16. See how easy that is? Oh, well done. Isn't that a fun way to memorize Scripture? So there's different ways, and this this year, this um, there's a lot of different ways to memorize Scripture, and that's the point. Um, we're going to try this one for this series, help you guys remember that. So throughout the week, just kind of walk mentally around the stage as you remind yourself of, of this powerful passage. But then as you get to know what it says, then begin to think about what it means, right? That's really the power of Scripture. And uh, this year, as we begin reading the Word, we also want to begin memorizing the word, having an imprint upon us. And so that's a great technique, one that I use, and it's for weirdos like me who have a vivid imagination. It's a great method. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the Bible. What is the Bible, right? We just memorize some of it. We memorize it every week. We come here, we memorize scripture all the time. This year, we're, we're challenging everybody to read through the Bible together. We have that Bible app, by the way, that QR thing. You just turn on your phone and then the camera on it, and you just show it there, and it takes you to the place to download it. It's like so, so slick. And then it sends you, if you want to, little reminders. Like for me, I get a little reminder every morning at 8 o'clock. It says, hey, it's time to read the Bible. And it turns right to where I'm supposed to be. It's so slick. It's so awesome. But we want to read the Bible, right? We want to read the Bible together. We, we uh, want to memorize the Bible. We talk about the Bible all the time, right? Every single Sunday, I have you guys pull out your Bibles and open up and we say, here we go into it, which is really fantastic. But you ever ask, what is the Bible? Like, why, why is the Bible such a big part of everything that we do? I think it's important if we start this year, if we want to begin to see the world through the scriptural lens, probably should ask, what is the lens? What is the Bible? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And in the following weeks, we're going to talk about where it came from, how we got the Bible. And then we're going to talk about then how do we use the Bible? Because you can misuse it. So how do you use it? And how do you apply it? So talk about the Bible today. And so we're going to talk about three truths this morning about what the Bible is. Really important things, what the Bible is. And the first thing is the Bible is a library. It's not uh, just one book. It's a library. When I first became a Christian, I thought the Bible was just a book. I thought it was one book written by one author or something like that by some old guy or something a long time ago, and it was written just like a book, so I tried to read it just like one book. And so I sat down, and I started in Genesis 1, and I read, and it was really cool, and I got all the way through Genesis, which is really awesome, and then I got into Exodus, and it started out pretty cool, and then it got a little bit harder, and then it just got really hard. <laughs> and, and I was like, I, I don't get it. I don't see how... And then I got into some of... When I finally got into like Psalms and things like this, I'm like, where's the narrative? Right? Where's the story in this? It's just like a bunch of, I didn't get it. And it was frustrating for me because I didn't understand. And so it seemed kind of disjointed. It seemed weird. And so when I thought of it just as one book, sometimes I applied it the wrong way. Right? I didn't know what I was looking into it for. But the Bible isn't just one book. In fact, the word Bible just means our standard. Right? It's, it's our standard. It's what it, really what it means. It's a special kind of, of standard for us. It's holy. It's different. It's the 
unique standard for our lives. And so we have this, well, scripture, I should say. So we have this amazing standard, but uh, it's not just one writing. It's actually 66 writings. And so it's a library of some of the greatest literary works of all of history. And these writings have been passed down to us for thousands of years. And for those of us who live in a fairly young country, that is mind-boggling for us to think about. Like our country is just a couple hundred years old. Like these scriptures were written over 1,500 years and the last one that was written was over two millennia ago and we still have it. It's timeless wisdom, timeless masterpieces that have been passed down to us throughout the ages. It's pretty amazing. And so we have this, and, and the Bible is actually contains these 66 books. It was uh, written by 40 different authors, uh, different languages, all kinds of things. And it creates, it has these different kinds of, uh, of genre. So you think about, you like, some people like reading uh, history. Some people like reading more factual things, like, you know, uh, some people like reading poetry, right? So if you walk into a library, you, you have a lot of different things out there. It's not just like one kind of book. So if you walk up and you say, you know, I really like poetry, you're going to go find a poetry book, and then you read it like a poem, right? But you wouldn't walk into a library and say, I really like poetry, and then you go, you know, to the law section, and it's like, oh, I'm going to read, you know, all of the, the statutes, and this is great poetry, because it's not, it's really boring, right? But if you want to know, if you go in the library and you're like, hey, there's this new law, I want to figure out what it is, then you walk in the statutes, you read that, you don't read it like a poem, right? So you understand there's different kinds of things, but there's different kinds of genre in the Bible, and, and think about like the Bible, how it was created. You see this format that we have where there's like a, there's a, a spine on one side and we have all these flat pages that are all the same size and they fly. You know, that's like amazing technology. Like even by, before the iPhone, like this was, this is amazing stuff. It's called a codex. And there wasn't codexes in the Garden of Eden, right? Humans had to invent them and they invented them much later in time. Before there was codexes, do you know how people carried around their books? Scrolls, yeah. So the scroll is you would take a flat piece of paper, right? And then you would, you got this flat piece of paper and you're like, I don't know, so I want to save it. So then you roll it up, right? Now you got a scroll and you could carry it around. But scrolls are not very uh, space conscious and they're hard to stack because they're rolled up, they're round. And so what did we do? How do we take the, the Bible, the scripture before it was put in a codex? How do we put it together? Well, there'd be baskets. That's where you put scrolls, right? These big old baskets, so you have these baskets, and then they would put scrolls in, and because there was a lot, they would put them in different baskets, usually by genre, just like you would go to a library. So the, the early uh, uh, leaders of the church, things like that, would know where to go. If they wanted to look for something, just like in a library, if you're looking for a biography, go to the biography section. Well, they had these baskets, and they had the scrolls all stacked in there, which is pretty good. And those scrolls were put in the baskets by genre, and so we have like the first five books in the Bible. We have this idea of law. Right? So we read about the Mosaic Law and the history and the writings of Moses, and you have this, this basket that's there. And then there was another basket they had, which was basically the history of the Jewish people and of our faith and all that kind of stuff. And you have books in there that, uh, like Ruth and things like this that talk about the, the, what, what's happening in, in the time of the people. And so you got some history books, and you have got history from different lenses, from a political lens. Uh, you, know, you have like Chronicles, you have... Uh, you have uh, from a more of like a prophetic lens, you have Samuel, so you have the same history from different angles, so that way you get a bigger, fuller picture. So you have all these scrolls of history that are in there. It explains kind of really where we came from, where our faith came from. It's pretty cool. And then you have, next to it, you have like some wisdom and some poetry. 
Like books that, that teach us deep things. They're true stuff, but teach us deep things about life. So you have things in there, like you have Job, you have, uh, you have in there the Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Songs and all those kind of things, and they teach us deep, deep truths, right? But they're poetic and beautiful, right? And so that's where we, we have that. And then there was another basket that was there, and it's, and it's a basket of, of prophecy, but there was a lot of prophets, and prophets were people that God inspired to, to reveal truth. And some of those truths he revealed were like future things that were going to happen, right? And some of the truth that the prophets revealed, most of it was really it exposed the human heart. It revealed the wickedness in society and in the human condition as it was. And so the prophets did both, share the, show the future, shine a light on the future as well as on the people. So they had these, these, all these prophets. So divided up, there was like five major, like really thick prophets. So we call them major prophets. Right? So there's a basket that had all those big, those big heavy scrolls in there. And then the rest, there was like all these, the rest that were, they were called minor prophets. And they weren't like, they weren't like the, the B team. They were just as good as prophets. They just wrote more briefly, right? So there's some in that thing there. And so that's what we find in here. As you go through the Old Testament, that's how the baskets, that's how the, the, the Old Testament is lined up. So if you want to read from beginning to end, you're going to start with law. And you're going to end with prophecy, right? And in the middle, you're going to have some history and some wisdom and things like that. But how many of us go to the library and say, I'm going to read all the way through this. I'm going to start in the legal section and I'm going to end over here. In the, right? It's not typically how we do it. Normally, you go to the library and say, what do I need? I'm going to go to the right place. And so if you wonder why, uh, if you see a book in the Bible, what kind of book it is, what genre it is, it helps you if you can look what basket it's in. And to help you with that, most of our Bibles in the very beginning all of them here, talk about the different books and, put, and show them the baskets that they were originally in, right, before we got to put them in this book or this codex. Now, the New Testament is no different, right? The New Testament is all of the scrolls that were written, all the scripture that was written after Jesus was born, right? That's the New Testament. And all of those scrolls, the different baskets they have, as we had the first ones, are the, are the story of Jesus' life by the people who were there, right? And we call those the Gospels. And there's four, but actually there's five scrolls of those, we have Matthew, Mark, and John. They all wrote one scroll. And then Luke, crazy kid, he, he kept writing, and he wrote so long he ran out of scroll, and he had to start another scroll. So we call, we had the Gospel of Luke, and then we had the Book of Acts. And the Gospel of Luke gives us basically the Gospel story, and then the Book of Acts really tells us the story after Jesus rose from the day, um, how the church began to grow. So we have that basket there, the Gospels, right? And then we have another basket, and that's the Apostle Paul. Right? He was originally Saul, he persecuted the church, and he has an amazing transformation, and God sends him out to be uh, the apostle to the Gentiles and all that. Well, God spoke through him, and he wrote a lot of letters to the churches to explain this new faith, this new covenant that we're in. And so we have some of his letters, and that's the next basket that you find in the New Testament are the letters from Paul. So all these different letters. And just for order, uh, they did a couple things. Instead of labeling them first Paul, second Paul, third Paul, because that would get old, right? They labeled them, they titled them by who Paul wrote the letter to. So uh, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. So that's Romans. And he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, Corinthians, right? And it was so good, he did it again, right? right? So we have those where Paul wrote the letters to, and that's the title. And then we have at the end, Paul wrote some letters to some people. And so you have Timothy, he wrote a couple letters to, and one of those you just memorize something from, 2 Timothy. He wrote something to Philemon, 
He wrote something to Titus, right? He, so he had these letters that were written to particular guys. And so we have the letters from Paul, and that's in a basket. So that's next. And it's arranged from the longest letter to the shortest letter. So it's not, that's how Romans got there first. That's his longest letter. And it goes to the shortest, Paul's letters. And then there's another basket, and that's all the other apostles that wrote letters, right? And they didn't write nearly as much, so they could all fit in one basket. And so we find they're just labeled after the person who wrote them. So John wrote three letters. So first, second, and third John. Peter wrote a couple letters, first, second Peter, right? That's what's in those baskets, right? And then there was this one letter the church didn't know what to do with. It was Hebrews. So what, what are we going to do with that? Because Paul might have wrote it, but he might not have, because there's a lot of persecution that was happening when Hebrews was written. That was the thing. And so the author of it couldn't write his name. He couldn't say, I wrote this, because he would be certain death. And he couldn't write down, I'm writing this to you, right? Because then if it got intercepted by the Roman government, they would have killed all the people that it was to. So he had to keep it kind of generic. So whoever wrote Hebrews, they couldn't write their, their name on it. So it was, it was unique. It's the only place we were like, I don't know who wrote it. But we know it's scripture. And so which basket do we put it in? We put it in Paul's? Do we put it in the... Because a lot of people think Paul wrote it. Some people are like, well, maybe it's not Paul. Maybe it was one of the other apostles, something like that. So we didn't know which basket to put in, so we kind of put it in between the two. So that's why Hebrews is there right in between those. And then at the very end, we got this one really awesome letter. It's an apocalypse. It's a, it's a, it's a, a masterpiece of... Uh, vivid imagery and artwork and history and, and a prophecy. It's, we know it's revelation, right? It's, it's amazing. And there's and that style of writing, we find some of it over in the prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, most of it's there. But, but it's this unique book for the New Testament. And so it becomes the final scroll because it talks about the end. And it talks about the whole picture. What is this all about? And what's God working in all these things from the beginning of creation to the birth and the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus, the suffering in the church, and what's going to happen at the very end? And so that's why that was put last, because it talks about the last things. So the Bible is this library. It's got these different baskets in it for the different types of scrolls that we have nicely ordered for us by the scholars, Christians who came before us, who invented this wonderful thing called a codex, so that you can carry this around with you at all times. Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine trying to carry about a bunch of scrolls? That would be insane. But now we can carry this library with us all the time. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. And now you have it on your smartphones as well, which blows my mind, right? So this is what we have. The Bible, then, is not just a library where we have a lot of different kinds of scrolls. We recognize that it's a very, it's an ancient library, but it's not just like everything was written 3,000 years ago. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. Now, I want you to think about, is our country different today in 2020 than it was in 2000? Has culture changed? Yeah, is, is, it, is our country different today in 2020 than it was in 1960 or 1950? right? So it's like 70 years. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of different things, different language, different terms. Diff our culture has different things that we find important. Our, our morals have changed as a, as, a, as a people, haven't they? Right? All kinds of things have really, really changed. And so if you pick up a book, say from the 1920s, will it read different than something written today? Yeah, typically it'll be very, very different, right? In fact, I was reading... Um, there was a, uh, one of those fun year-end articles and things like this. There was something written from the 1920s. And it was written to, uh, to the man of the house and the woman of the house. And I will tell you, the advice they gave back then is completely different than what you would read today. You can say this was not something that had its genesis in 2020, 
right? So we see that, that time makes a difference. That, that really changes things, right? How typically authors and where we write things. But the Bible is written over 1,500 years, not just 50, right? Not just 70, 1,500. Do you think the world changed a little bit in that 1,500 years? But not only is it a 1,500-year gap, this chasm, this massive amount of time that it was written from the first book to the very last book that was penned in Scripture, we find that uh, it also it was written by, uh, by three, different, and three different continents. So think about that today. Like in the United States, do we have a little different culture than maybe Japan? Yeah, we see things a little different, right? How we, or how about in the Middle East? Do they see things maybe a little different than, than maybe that we do or over in like maybe Russia, Right? Different places have different mindsets and things like that, and then you can tell, tell the difference in their writings. The Bible is written on three different continents over 1,500 years, and there's 40 different authors. I mean, even in the United States, when you read like a, a blog that has lots of different, like a, one of our news outlets or whatever, and they have different authors that will write things, isn't it amazing like you're watching like modern news, how you'll have two different takes on the very same event, and they are like totally different? Right? For, I don't want to get political, but like right now where we have this whole thing happening with Iran, right? and things happened, right? some very significant things, and then you have some people who, who write about it one way, and they have other people who write about it from a completely different perspective, and you're like, did you see, are you guys seeing the same event? Right? So different authors come with different perspectives, and it changes how they write things. The Bible was written by 40 different authors Right? And those authors, some of them were scholars, some of them were kings, very political people. Some of them were just common folks like fishermen and stuff like that. Some of them were prisoners. Right? It was written by a lot of different people. And so we find the Bible is, an, is a library that encompasses a swath of time and a swath of cultures and a swath of, of understanding and all kinds of different people. And one of the most amazing things about the Bible, in spite of the fact that it was written over 1,500 years and four different authors and three different continents and three different languages, it has one story, a cohesive message. It's one of the greatest miracles of Scripture. I mean, from 1,500 years prior, the understanding of who God was is exactly the same as at the very last book. How God had revealed himself never contradicted who God was, what he wanted, what, what, is right, what is righteous, what is wrong, what is the consequence of sin. None of that has changed. The core doctrines of Scripture have this amazing amount of consistency. It is a story that God has given us throughout time. It's an amazing thing. And so it is a library, but it's a library that is tied together. It's not like when you go to the Estes Park Library and you go to like the cooking section and then you might go over to the nonfiction section, you might go to the fiction section, three, three different books have nothing to do with each other. As you read Scripture, you might be reading something in history and then later on you might be reading something in and poetry, and you will see ties, and they'll connect. And they build each other up in this amazing way. It is a fascinating, brilliant library. Something, a library unlike the world has ever seen. It is a library of masterpieces. The second thing we find then with the Bible is not just a library of information out there. But in order to see what it is, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3.16, which is going to be on page 833 if you have one of our Bibles. If you need one, You've got plenty of them in the back. You can keep it if, if you need one. It'll be our gift to you this year. All right, as we go there, what I want to do is give you a little context. We had that Bible memory verse. Now we have to say, what's the context? We memorized it. What was Paul talking about when he says, all Scripture is inspired by God? Right? Well, in, in here, this is Paul's second letter to Timothy. This is probably the last letter Paul wrote before he died. He's passing on the torch of church leadership to the next generation. That's what this letter is all about. Right? And, and here in chapter 2, 
or chapter 3, he's kind of getting the meat of it. He's telling Paul, or he's telling Timothy, his disciple, he's saying, listen, there's going to be consequences for following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, there are going to be people in this world that will resist you, and there's a lot of things that's going to try to take you off course, right? And with that, he says, but you're not alone. There's a tool that we have to help us. And so in verse 14, it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have been known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Right in there, Paul begins saying, listen, I'm passing the torch on. The scriptures are something you need to stick with. The church needs to stick with this. Followers need to stick with this. And the very first reason he gives for that is because they make you wise for salvation. That's the first purpose of scripture. Why did God give us this library? It's so we wouldn't have to be separate from him forever. And you can be foolish to salvation, not understand how to be saved, right? It'd be like a person that's on the Titanic, right? And there's lifeboats and all that kind of stuff. And they think, no, I can swim. That's foolish. <laughs> and, and they think they could say that they don't know how to get out, how to save themselves. But to be wise, be like, oh, here's where this lifeboat is. First purpose of scripture, if we're reading it, is to help us understand exactly what, how to be saved. God wants you to know that. And so as we read Scripture, that's one of the first things that we should look for is it make us wise to salvation. But it doesn't end there. I love that it doesn't end there because then he says that all Scripture is God-breathed. And you're like, wait a second, these are different words. Why are they different words than what we memorize? Well, this is a different translation. It's all the same Greek text underneath it. I chose those other words because I could find graphics. <laughs> there you go, transparency. Same message. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's not just to make us wise for salvation, but it's also to leave us to a, li- a wise life, a better way of living. That's the purpose of Scripture. That's why we have it. So because of this, we find the second truth about it is that the Bible is our authority. The Bible is there to teach us, not us it. Think how crazy it would be if you walked into a kindergarten classroom and you have the teacher that's supposed to be there teaching the children and one kid stands up and says, you're not the boss, I'm going to teach you. How ridiculous would that be? A kindergartner can't tie their shoes. Maybe you should listen to the teacher. I don't know you know, got a degree. You know, you and me, we came into this world naked and stupid, didn't we? We didn't do anything. And that's not bad. We were a fresh slate right? And we're doing the best we can. We learn from other people that are doing the best that they can. Your parents weren't perfect, but they did the best that they can. Some of them did really good. Some of them didn't do great, but it doesn't matter. They did their best, right? And you're doing your best, and we're going through this life trying to figure it out, okay? We're like a bunch of kindergartners who are trying to teach other kindergartners how to live. And then the teacher shows up and says, hey, this is how you tie your shoes. This is how you count to 10, right? This is how we do life, And this is what the purpose of this library is, is to teach us how to live, is to equip us. It's instructional for us, but it's the authority, right? It's the one that says, no, this is the way life is. How silly is it when you have a kindergartner telling a a teacher, you don't know how life is. I was reading this week, uh, and and Amy told me about this article, and I went and looked at it, and it was pretty interesting how you have these younger people that were telling uh, folks who who are in their 60s and 70s who uh, came out of the the, the Soviet Union, who lived there and was the Soviet Union fell, and so they lived under that. And you have these college students that are telling these people that lived in the Soviet Union what life in the Soviet Union was like. How ridiculous is that? 
And, and these people are like, wait a second, we live in the Soviet Union. It wasn't like that. It wasn't this paradise you think it was. And these students are like, no, 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 you're wrong. What? That's what it's like for us. And we try to tell the Bible we know better. This is 1,500 years of wisdom being passed down to us for thousands and thousands of years. It's proven itself to be true. And, and it's, it's our authority. And what gives us the authority is not just that it's old, but the who spoke it. All scriptures inspired by God. God breathed as the Greek in there. It's like, whoosh, God spoke it. And the process that he did is he, he specially created different people called prophets and the, and the, uh, uh, the disciples. And he crafted them in their life so that they would be the perfect instrument to write down his perfect word. Think about how brilliant God is. So they would communicate without any type of error exactly what he wanted to say. It's like when an artist goes to a, a, a big canvas and they want to paint something and they pick just the right brush. Sometimes you want a big, thick brush and sometimes you want a fine pointed one. Sometimes you want one that's a little bit rougher or thinner. God crafted the people who penned scripture to be the exact perfect instrument and then he guided them along as they wrote scripture. It's his message to us. So I went to the, Van, uh, the uh, Monet exhibit down in the art museum. By the way, you should go. It's beautiful. And nowhere in that exhibit do you see the paintbrushes highlighted. No one says, this brush painted that. It says Monet painted these things, right? In the same way, we should never look at Scripture and say, oh, well, that was Paul's word. No, this was God's word through Paul. He used that brush to paint that letter just so, so that we would have it just perfect. That's the artistic brilliance of our God. And he gives us this masterpiece, and he says, I want to use it to help correct you so you can live a right kind of life, so you can live a good life and a full life, one that is true. How amazing is that? And I think that's part of the purpose of it, is the Bible is, is to really instruct us in a good way. It gets to be the authority. Right? Because sometimes we, um, <laughs> we don't know what's best. Right? Sometimes we, we mess up. We don't know what is true. A great example, and Amy might remember this, when we were in, in Joplin, Missouri, and I was going and I was doing supply preaching. Okay? It's part of the college and to make a little extra money, but also practice and serve the churches and all that kind of stuff. It was really great. Got to do some supply preaching. So I got to drive around on these backcountry roads that in, in, in Oklahoma and in Kansas and Missouri. And, and when you go there, it looks a lot the same. Like really a lot the same. It's beautiful, but it's a lot the same. And as we're driving out to one of these tiny churches in the middle of nowhere, right, we're going to go preach. It was one of those overcast days where you can't really see the sun or anything like that. It was just kind of like hazy, and it was uh, springtime, so you can't really see. And back then, it was before, uh, some of you younger people, trust me, this time existed in humanity, that there wasn't Siri and there wasn't Apple Maps and Google Maps. There was this thing that we had, which we thought was so high-tech, called uh, MapQuest. Do you remember that? That was fun. You're like trying to read while you're driving. You're like, ah, turn. So... Uh, I don't know if you remember, but there was a point in time, I don't know if I made settings wrong, but there was, uh, when we printed things off on MapQuest, instead of going left and right, some genius in Silicon Valley thought, no, 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 we should tell them north, south, east, and west. Why? We're in the middle of nowhere, we're exiting the street, we had to go to this church, and we're supposed to go north, 
And so we go off one of those ramps, you know, it kind of bends around. Which way is north? I don't know. But I had great confidence in me because I grew up in Colorado and I clearly knew that the mountains are on the west. <laughs> Problem was, those mountains were so far west I couldn't see them in the middle of Kansas. And I did, so I made my best guess. And I was pretty sure my, my compass in my brain was telling me, this is the exact direction you're supposed to go. All right, we're going north. And we're driving and Amy's trusting me because she's, you know, she's awesome. And she's like, all right, we're going north. And all of a sudden we passed the wrong town. I'm thinking, that town's lost. <laughs> the reality is that I was lost. I, I was headed in the wrong direction, right? I believed something to be true, and I was going exactly the opposite where I was supposed to go. I needed something outside of me, some type of authority, to be like, no, 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 north truly is that direction. You need to turn around. And that's what the Bible gets to be for us. It gets to be, so you won't question it. We're not like looking at our compasses and be like, no, you're lying to me. Some of the worst advice you'll ever get is to follow your heart, right? Scripture says your heart is deceptive above all things. It's like this little liar that's like, yeah, yeah, follow me. You'll be fine, right? The problem with your heart is that uh, it's not only deceptive, it's stupid, right? Your heart doesn't know. Who taught your heart to know all things? Your heart is like, eh, your heart just does what it feels like. Sometimes the heart just like, you know, jumps off cliffs. You're going to follow your heart? That's silly. Your heart's dumber than your brain, and sometimes our brains get us in the wrong places, don't they? The best thing we want to find is something that has more authority than just our hearts and our feelings or even our own thoughts. Sometimes we need an outside expert to be like, that's north, this is where we're supposed to go, this is what is true, and this is what is right, and that is what the Word of God is. And why is it? Because it's God-inspired. God has said, He's spoken to us and said, this is what is true. He's above the fog, he sees it, and he's telling us so that we can live a better life. But it's supposed to then teach us. It's not just so that we would know truth, but did you see there? It's, it's, like, it's there so that way, not only we know what is true, but it'll teach us to do what is right. Because doing what is right has consequence, doesn't it? Think about, uh, I was in a, my, third trip to, my second trip to Ukraine. I went over to teach class at this Bible college that we support, right? And I'm teaching the class, and I get a sinus infection. And so my throat's all raw and all that kind of stuff. But no worries, right? Because my doctor, I went to visit him beforehand, and he gave me some antibiotics in just case something like that would happen. I am set. He gave me two sets of antibiotics, turns out. One for my sinus infection, and one in case I have some bad Ukrainian food, right? So I have two. And... I didn't label them. I didn't know which was to go which, and I'm not a doctor. So I have a science infection, and I want to teach, and I'm all like trying to teach, and I feel lousy. I'm like, I'm going to take these antibiotics. So I take a set of antibiotics, and it helps a little bit. And it's good, and I come home, and I recover, and all that kind of stuff. Well, then, later on, we go to Mexico to go build a house. We're down in Juarez, and uh, the sweet little gal that we're building the house for brings out some uh, uh, ice water, right? Just because we're working hard. And I ask her, I'm like, is this bottled water? Absolutely, it's bottled water. Right? That's what she put the ice water, she put the ice, bottle water over ice so it would be nice and cool for us. I didn't think about the fact that the ice wasn't from bottled water and there was some horrible ancient revenge that was taking place in my gut. I was like, oh, it was awful. But I had the other antibiotics, right? And these ones, I thought fully in my heart and mind that this was the ones that was for stomach problems. And so I took them and it didn't do that. In fact, apparently those antibiotics are really bad on your gut. And then I put that on top of then having the horrible things. And that was a really fun trip. Let me tell you. Here's the thing. Sometimes we do what we think is right. 
and we do it with right motives, and we believe what we're, we're doing what is right, and everything that points, we think we, we're doing what is right, but if we get it wrong, if we do what is wrong, there is still consequence. And oftentimes in our life, we go and we do what is right with our, with our relationships and our marriages and our friendships and our businesses and all kinds of things, and we do what we think is right, and all of a sudden, there's horrible consequences. Things get worse and worse and worse, and we don't know why. The thing is, the Bible is there to teach us to do what is right so we can have the benefit of doing what is good. Because doing what is right has good consequence, right? And this is what the Bible is there to help us with. And that's why it's our authority. And so when we go to the Word, one of the worst things that we could possibly do is go to the Word as though we are on the judge's seat. And we look at the Bible and we read it and say, I agree with that, I will accept it. I don't agree with that. I don't accept it. That's not good. I'm going to reject it. That's one of the worst things we can do is go to the Bible and force it to conform to us. One of the greatest things that we can ever do is when we take ourselves off the judge's seat and put the Bible there and let it to examine us and to show us, hey, uh, you're supposed to be heading north and you're going south. Let me turn that map around for you. Hey, you thought that this was the right antibiotics, but really it was the other antibiotics. Let the Bible judge us and then begin to obey what it says. And there are times in Scripture, I guarantee it will happen to every one of us. It will offend you. You're going to read things that the Bible says, that God says is one way. He says, this is white and this is wrong. This is moral and this is immoral. And you're going to say, God, I disagree with you. Because our moral compasses are broken. That's why we need the Bible. And God's not mad at us when that happens. That's why he gave us his word. But when it happens, we have to say, okay, I disagree with you, God, and I know that one of us is wrong. It's probably me. And with that, God, I'm going to ask you, help me understand so that I can see things the way that you do. And in the process, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to live according to this is true, even though it feels wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. But just ask him to reveal that to you. He will. It's an amazing thing. And if that never happens to you as you're reading Scripture, chances are you're not allowing Scripture to be your authority. But if you read Scripture as authority, if you allow it to take its place that it's supposed to, it has this amazing ability to help us straighten our lives out. It has an amazing place to, a way to put our worlds in perspective. It has an amazing way to allow us to live with purpose and with effectiveness in this life and with great joy. As it says here, that's what it's supposed to do. So that the servant of God will be fully trained for every good work to do what is right. Third thing that we find in the Bible, though, and this is my favorite the Bible isn't just God's authority to us. It's his message to us. And I think if we miss this, we've missed the most beautiful section of what Scripture is. You know, if you want to know me, you could do a lot of different things. What it would be like if uh, you're like, we want, to know, we want to know Aaron, right? We go to church with him. We see him. We think he's a decent guy. We really want to know this guy. And so you form a small group of people who had experiences with me. Some people that maybe were in the coaching area and the sports, some people that are parts of, and had all these experiences with me. And you get together and you have a small group and you have like a little session and you talk about, you know, what is Aaron like, right? And so you come up with all these ideas of who I am. You might get somewhere close to my ideas and you might come up with some crazy ideas, right? But that's, that's okay. That's what you want to do. But what would be crazy then is, is if I came to your group one time and you're like, we really want to know what Aaron's like. And they're like, we have decided your favorite color is blue. And I would say, no, it's green. And then the group said, no, 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 your favorite color is blue. How silly would that be? The thing is, the best way to know me is to actually listen 
to me, right? To get to spend time with me and to listen. If I say green's my favorite color, be like, okay, we trust you. You like the Denver Broncos. Okay, we trust you, right? I like sleeping in on Saturdays. You'd be like, oh, I know you now. I, I could trust you, right? If you listen to me, I probably am the expert on me. Humans have been wanting to know God for a long time. There's a brokenness, a separation, a divide between us, but we know he's there. We've experienced him in this world. So humans throughout time have gotten together in these little huddles, right? These little small groups, and they've talked about their experiences with God. And we've come up with some things like God must be this way because I've seen him do this, and God must be this way because I've experienced that about him, right? And we come up with all these things, and what we call that? Religion. And there's religions all over the world with these groups of people who have come up with their best understanding of how they think God is. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a desire in, in people to know God. But then God did something amazing, something he didn't need to do. He's revealed himself to us. I mean, he came in the person of Jesus. He put on skin and he said, here I am. That's what we just celebrated. So we wouldn't have to wonder if God's there. But then he also, I mean, most of us haven't talked to the risen Jesus yet, right? Most of us here, I would Garner thing. Most of us, a good number, haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. So how are we supposed to know what Jesus revealed himself to be? How he's, who he said he was and what he was like? We've got gospels. But God didn't just reveal himself through Jesus. He's revealed himself throughout time. He's written it down. He said, this is who I am. This is how I want you to know me. And how silly would it be for us, those of us who have formed all of our religions to say, well, actually, we've gotten together and said, God, no, you're not that way. Isn't it best to listen to him as he's revealed himself? And that's what we have. And if God revealed himself to us in his word, it means he wants us to have a relationship with him. Why else would he speak? He wants to make us wise to salvation. Why? So we can be with him. But not just in the hereafter. He wants to be part of our life now. Do you ever feel alone or distant? Like, God, I just want you to be part of my life. I want to. He's spoken to us. He said, this is who I am, and this is how I'm working. He's told us how much he loves you, what your purpose is, how he's working in your life even now, and what he has plans for you in the future. He's told you. The Bible is God's word to us. It tells us not just who he is. It tells us who we are. It shows us how he loves us and then how we can love him back. It is greater than any religion ever could be because it is firsthand we get to hear from God. So that is what the Bible is. This is an amazing book. It's a library. A library of, of God revealing himself to us. It's, a, it's, a, it's this amazing authority for us to help us live better lives. It's, a, it's his message and it's the proof that our God is He's not so distant. And if you just seek him, if you go into the word and you say, God, I want to know you better. Jesus said, if you seek him, you're going to find him there. And since we have this amazing word, this amazing library, we're going to talk about then next week, where did it come from? How do I have the audacity to make that claim that God inspired this, that this is a divine inspiration? We're going to talk about that because there's a lot of really good reasons why we can say that. And then we're going to talk about how we read it the following weeks and how you can apply it in your life. But this week, we want to begin to apply this truth, to treat the Bible as it fully is. And so how do you do that? What I want you to do is take out your connection card, because on the back side, there are some next steps, some things that you can do to begin to apply this in your own life. And the first thing maybe you want to do is to, 
memorize 2 Timothy 3.16. Right? We've done some fun stuff on stage. But you say, you know what? If this really is God's word, this really is authority, this is something that's ancient and brilliant and wonderful, and it's a message that's going to help me, spend some time memorizing it. Walk around your stage, right? That you have all the scriptures, right, that are inspired by God, that are useful to teach you what is true, to make you realize what is wrong in our lives and corrects us when we are wrong right? and teaches us to do what is right. Maybe that's where we need to start this week. See the Bible as it fully is. Maybe the next thing you want to do is start reading the Bible. That's a great thing to do. As a church, we're going to start reading the Bible. The Bible app, we're going to officially begin at the end of January, right? But if you start now, you'll be ahead and you'll know how the app works and all that kind of stuff. So I encourage you this week, download it. You scan it on your phone. It's super cool. Set it up, begin reading. And what a great way to start the year ahead, but also beginning to read the Word of God. And if you don't like apps, we have it printed out too. You can join us and do the paper check off things too. Just come see one of us at staff and we'll hand it to you. Maybe what you want to do this week is you're going to pray for wisdom. Remember, the Bible is a conversation. If it is God's word to us, conversations are two-way. And so oftentimes you read the Bible. Have you ever talked to somebody and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you explain it and then they explain it to you and you're like, ah, same way as scripture. If you want wisdom, you have to ask. God will explain things to you. So maybe that's where you start this week. You've been reading the word, but it's been confusing. Start asking God, give me your wisdom so I can understand it. Maybe that's where you do this week. Or maybe what you want to do is you begin to apply scripture. One of the things is to be here. Uh, The book of Hebrews, that one we talked about earlier on, where there's so much persecution, the author couldn't even put his name down. It says in there, even if there's great risk of personal safety to you and everyone you know, by attending church, even if that's the extreme that's there, it says don't, it says don't negate or don't neglect the meeting together as some people are in the habit of. And I'll tell you, if it's that way, if they, uh, we don't have that kind of persecution, praise God, so be here. <laughs> we don't have any good excuses not to. Begin to apply scripture, live what is right. And you say, I'll be here the next three weeks as we begin to learn what the Bible is and how to apply it. Maybe that's your commitment. And that's yours. Of course, I'll be praying for you. If there's another commitment you need to make, let me know that. I will be lifting you in prayer this week, as well as if you do have a prayer request, more than praying for you, I love to pray with you. And so if there's something I can join you in prayer about, write that down and know that our staff and me will be praying for you this week. In a second, we'll be taking our offering. As we take our offering, our very first fruits of the year, please take this connection card, drop it in the offering basket as is passed, along with your tithes and your gifts. And uh, let's start this year off, as you've already done pretty good so far, uh, a way of of seeing the world as God has has taught us to see it through the lens of Scripture. Now I'm going to bring this uh, message to a close, and then Phil and our worship band will will close us out with some great worship. So let me pray for you uh, before we take our offering. Father God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for the amazing library that it is to give us all kinds of instruction from all kinds of different directions, but that amazing theme of your love for us in the midst of it. Father, we pray that this year you would help our congregation grow closer to each other and, more important, closer to you as we engage you through your word, the scripture. May it uh, be your message to our hearts. Let us allow it to be our authority, Father, as well as uh, a conversation, invitation to live life with you. We invite you in. Lord, we we pray uh, your blessing over the commitments we've made today. Help us to keep those in a way that honor you and draw us closer to you. Father, we pray for our tithes and our offerings as we do give you our first fruits for this year. Uh, We do so with joy and with gladness. We look in the past. You've cared for us then. We know you're going to care for us in the future. So we give to you. We ask that you would take these uh, offerings of our love and you would bless them and multiply them and use them to build your kingdom here in Estes through us for your glory. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.